guess, big question for this sermon. How do we live in a world when we don't feel we belong? How do we live in a world where we don't feel we belong? Um, if you're uh, a pop singer called Sting, uh, you write a song about it. Uh, he, says, he said this, um, I don't drink coffee, I take tea, my dear. I'm not going to sing it. I like my toast done on one side. And you can hear it in my accent when I talk. I'm an Englishman in New York. So goes the classic song by Sting. And if, it's, if you don't know it, go and, go and have a listen. It's great. Now, he's being playful, isn't he? Um, but he's getting at something kind of profound. There's all sorts of ways that we recognise we don't belong somewhere. Uh, it might be uh, the food that we eat, might be the language we speak, uh, might be the kind of routine of the day, do you have a siesta or, or not, uh, it might be the clothes that you wear. Or if you've spent time in another country or living in another culture, uh, then you'll, you'll know something of this. But the feeling of not belonging, it's not always just about place, is it? Um, sometimes it can be about time. Uh, two. Um, the author L.P. Hartley uh, began uh, one of his novels with this famous line, the past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. Uh, conjures up a lot, doesn't it? Um, brings to mind my, my granddad. Um, he lived until he was 96. Uh, he was born in 1916 and died in 2012. Uh, so he lived through two world wars uh, huge changes um, in economy and the kind of demographic makeup of England. And for him, the kind of Britain of 1990s and the 2000s was so different to the Britain of the 50s, 60s, let alone the little Welsh village that he grew up in. Not belonging isn't just about place, it can be about time. But how, how do we respond when we don't feel uh, we belong? Um, some people live in the past. Um, my granddad, uh, when we were going through his house after he died, there were just like dozens of hundreds of cans. He had never given up the kind of wartime mentality of, um, of, of storing food in case uh, you needed it. But sometimes we try and acclimatise to the new, don't we? Um, maybe we kind of set up a series of, of habits or kind of traditions to sort of get us through seasons of change. And one of my um, old housemates, he, uh, before he was 14, I think he lived in three continents. He lived in Canada, he lived in Burkina Faso, and he also lived in, in France. And he spoke um, at least three languages. Um, and there were seven of them in their family. Um, and the way they kind of kept up uh, a kind of sense of normality uh, was by coming up with traditions as a family, things that, that just they did. Um, so one thing um, was every Christmas they read uh, the same uh, Christmas story uh, by Dylan Thomas. It's a kind of ten minute, his Christmas, um, his kind of Christmas memories as a boy. Um, every birthday they would make homemade pizza and uh, that was the only time they had pizza in the year. But it happened seven times, that's quite good. Um, but it meant that they had these little things throughout the year that felt that oh, they, they belonged at least to something, even if their language and their place um, was changing. But the thing is, belonging is more than just kind of place and time. It's more than just culture and psychology, isn't it? There's a, there's a spiritual side to it. And we saw last week, as we began 1 Peter, uh, he is writing to Christians 
who don't feel like they belong. They don't feel like they're at home. And there's a sense in which we don't and we shouldn't. Do you remember those first, uh, that first verse? There's two words that Peter describes them as. Let's just see them again. Elect exiles. Elect, they are chosen by God. They belong to God. And that means they do belong somewhere. But that ultimate home is the new creation. It's the world renewed and restored when Jesus comes back. They do have a home, but they're not there yet because they're elect exiles. That's not where they are now. Now, they and we live in a world broken by sin, broken by rebellion against its creator. Uh, In the chorus of the the song, Sting uh, calls out, Whoa, I'm an alien, I'm a legal alien. Uh, I think if you live in America, you can be, uh, your, that's, that's the word you describe yourself as, you're, you're an alien. Um, Peter, in chapter 2, says that Christians are aliens and strangers in this world. And I wonder if that's something you, you feel. How keenly do you feel that? What is it about being a Christian that might make you feel like an alien, like a stranger? Maybe it's looking around and seeing a completely different vision of what a fruitful and fulfilled human life is outside us to what we see in the Bible. Maybe it's seeing pushback against God's design for marriage or for being men and women or for relationships. We spent time thinking about that earlier at the parents' lunch. There's lots of things that might mean we don't feel we belong. I wonder what that might be uh, for you. It could be a great thing to talk about afterwards. But how do we live with that sense of not belonging? How do we live with it and not be crushed by it? Last week, Peter gave us hope. Hope that is certain, that one day we'll be home. One day the the pain that we face now will not be wasted. But, But how do we live now in a world where we don't feel we belong? Well, that's kind of the rest of the letter. And in today's passage, uh, we're going to see four things um, that Peter um, gives us in answer to that question. So first thing, how do we live in a world we don't belong? Set your hope on the future. Set your hope on the future. Verse 13, have a look down if you've got it there. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. The first thing about living in a place that we don't belong is remembering that you don't belong here. Peter says we must not forget where we're going. We must not forget where we belong. We must let our certain future shape our present circumstances. Um, Some of you might have seen the film Inception. I was thinking earlier, this is probably actually a bit of an old illustration now because it's been out for ages. But in the film Inception, humans have developed the technology um, to step into people's dreams. And they kind of plant ideas or or memories there. Um, But there is a danger. If you are in a dream for too long, uh, the main character and his wife, they end up stuck in someone else's dream for what feels like an eternity. And as the years go by, uh, they, they don't know if they'll ever get out. And so he chooses to allow his wife to believe the dream is the real world. Because the thought of being stuck 
in this place forever and never getting home is, is too much to bear. It's better to believe in the illusion. The tragedy is, once they do get out, slight spoiler alert, she now believes that the real world is the dream, not the dream. And there was this kind of tagline on the advertising, I think it's there, the dream is real. Now, she lost sight of where she was going. Peter is saying here, don't let that happen. Don't lose sight of where you're going, of your true home. Unlike the characters in this film, our future is certain. We know that there is an end in sight. They had no reason to set their hope on the future because they didn't know if they would get out. Last week we saw, Peter says, there is every reason for hope. We have a living saviour. We have a hope that can never perish, spoil or fade. And so... After hearing about that hope, what does he say? Verse 13, therefore, because of this hope, what should you do? Set your hope. Set your hope. And they're quite kind of deliberate words, aren't they? It's a bit like opening up Google Maps. Putting in a particular destination. Or or like steering a ship, getting your compass out each day or every hour to check you're heading in the right direction. And your hope hasn't drifted onto something else. Why, Why do I think he says, sets our hope? Well, because often it, it feels like things go in circles, doesn't it? It's so easy to, to, to take our eyes off the horizon. Perhaps we get discouraged. Suffering or grief, the, the really big things. But also the kind of daily grind of living with news of, of wars and famine and disease and, and relational strife. The, the daily grind of those things too. We, we get discouraged. And so we wonder, will we ever get where we belong? But also we get distracted, don't we? We get kind of comfortable here. I mean, we live in Winchester, it's just not bad. But I help hope in something else. Maybe a really good thing. Having a family, having a good career, being important to someone. Well, those are all good things, but they are not the ultimate thing. You can get distracted and feel like we belong here. That's why we need to set our hope. But what does setting our hope look like? verse 13 you see being alert and fully sober there is a kind of readiness a preparedness to it it's about letting your future shape your present that word in verse 13 about being alert and fully sober it's used back um, in the exodus story while the israelites are are heading out of of egypt um, this Literally, the phrase is, gird your loins, gird your loins. It, it literally meant kind of they, they didn't wear clothes like us. They had longer robes. And it meant shifting your robes so that you're kind of ready to run and they don't trip you up when, when, you, when you start. Like, be, be in a ready posture for hope to come. Setting their hope may, meant being ready to act when that certain thing happened because the Lord had told them the exodus was coming. Their future shaped their present. More close to home, maybe, and some of you know, um, my wife and I are expecting a baby. Basically, any, any time now. 
Uh, that future reality is shaping our present, I can tell you. We, we you know, getting things ready, uh, and you, that there is that sense of, well, I know this is coming, and so I need to be ready. I need to be ready. But the thing is, getting ready for Egypt... You know, leaving Egypt, that feels like, okay, I understand what what that might look like. Uh, Getting ready even for a baby to arrive. Um, Well, some of it, who knows? But there's there's some clear criteria, isn't there? You need, I think, clothes, nappy, car seats, and uh, probably a few other bits and pieces. But what about getting ready for the new creation? What about getting ready for Jesus uh, to come back? How do we stand in a posture ready um, for that? How do we not get discouraged, not get distracted? How might that glorious future shape our presence on a Monday morning or halfway through a lecture or when you're uh, in a a meeting with your colleagues? Peter gives us three things in the following verses and that's our other three points. Three ways that this hope shapes our present. The first one, reflect your father's holiness. Reflect your father's holiness. Uh, Verse 14, have a look. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. That future hope should lead to presence holiness. Peter says, you don't belong here, you belong there. So don't live as if you belong here. A good friend of mine, um, his family is is Indian. Uh, He spent most of his life here. But occasionally he would turn up at church um, wearing kind of traditional garb, kind of a a full, um, long, bright colours. And especially he would do it if he was kind of at the front or leading the service. And it was was kind of a lovely surprise. I think he did it for a little bit of reaction. Um, But it was very different to where we we, uh, were meeting in kind of leafy suburbs of Southampton. And there's a sense of that here. Uh, Not not with clothes, but Peter says, let your behaviour show where you belong. Now he puts it negatively first, did you see? Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, verse 14. So he says, when when this world was your home, you were controlled by evil desires. You, You lived that way because you belonged here. But a change has happened. Verse 15, positively, he says, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. That is the change. You have been called by one who is holy. God has called you to himself. Description of being saved. You've been called to him, and so your life should reflect this difference. The language of calling, or the language of family. Verse 14, as obedient children. That change is that you've been adopted into a new family. God as your father and he is holy. And so you should, we should live out the family likeness. Now the order here is really important, isn't it? Uh, Peter isn't saying you need to be holy in order to be brought into God's family or in order to be called. No, these people, they are already children. They are already called And so they have a glorious future. And because they are saved, because they are part of the family, because this is their future, 
Well, they should show it. And so should we. Don't live as if you belong to a different family. Be holy, for I am holy. If you've been to a a wedding recently or not, um, sometimes at weddings you get that moment where you're kind of... um, Maybe you know one side of the family, uh, but not the other. And you're trying to work out, okay, so I think they're an uncle or definitely, uh, definitely a parent. I can see a kind of nose that is across all of those people in the room. Um, we once went to, uh, we went to a wedding a couple of months ago, and the, the bride and the sister of the bride basically looked identical. Just one was wearing white and the other was wearing green. So that was very helpful. Um, there's a family resemblance, isn't there, often? Um, Sometimes people say that we look like our siblings or our parents. I wonder if that might be true um, for you. Now, we can't visually kind of look like God. He's invisible. He is spirit. But we can reflect his likeness. Holiness is less about a list of kind of do's and don'ts, but rather thinking, well, what would reflect my heavenly father most in this situation? How can I show his goodness? His gentleness, his compassion, his justice, his love. How can I show not just who I am, but whose I am, who I belong to? So how do we live where we don't belong? We live in a way that shows who you do belong to. And just like we don't tend to change family from moment to moment, Peter says, be holy in all you do. Our words, our work, our studies, our sports, our computer games, our dating, our friendships, our marriages, our parenting, our money, our social media, our thoughts. We, we could go on all night, couldn't we? In all you do. Reflecting his likeness isn't an optional extra any more than being a part of a family is what we've been brought into as God's children and in those moments where we allow the future to shape our present by reflecting his likeness reflecting who we belong to we help one another to remember this isn't where we belong as well being holy reflecting God's likeness isn't just good for me or good for you it's good for all of us it puts up a signpost to the day where one day we will see Christ and be fully like him. How do we live where we don't belong? Well, let your future shape your present. Reflect your Father's holiness. Live in a way that shows who you do belong to. But also, verse 17, revere your Father as judge. Let me read it to you. Since you call on a Father who judges each person's work impartially... Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Peter's reminding us that just because we don't belong here doesn't mean that how we live here doesn't matter at all. The tenderness of that word father is paired with the reminder that he is also the judge of the universe. He has authority over all things. He has the right to direct our lives because one day he will be the one that we have to give an account to for how we've lived, Christian or not. And so there is a reverent fear that we should have for him. We shouldn't be complacent in the time that we have in exile. 
It should matter to us that we hear those words when we go home. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let me try and illustrate that. Perhaps you might have experienced something like I did uh, growing up. Um, this is slight confession time. Um, if I came home from school and it had been a good day, maybe I'd helped the teacher with something, and then I, I loved it when my parents kind of heard about that and were, were, were pleased with me. It was nice to be able to share. Um, but there were times, I'm sure as all children, where I acted as if their opinion didn't, didn't matter at all. They had no authority over me. And uh, one of these times, I remember being uh, caught knocking uh, on someone's door and um, running away. And uh, unfortunately, there was a, uh, a boy from the secondary school uh, just down the road spotted and took me back to my school. And I had to face the head teacher. They called my home, told my parents, and it was a long walk home. Because I would have to face my parents' Examination. I'd have to give an account uh, for my actions, for, for what I'd done and, and how I'd used um, the, you know, the, the, the time that I had. Now, never for one second did I expect to kind of knock the door uh, and they would open up and say, that's it, you're out. Here's a bag ready packed. You're not part of this family anymore. No, not at all. I knew that my place in the family was safe. I knew that they loved me. But I would have to give an account for my actions. And it might mean tears of repentance or, or, and saying sorry. Sorry that I'd um, not been a good representative for the family. And in those moments of walking home, I had a sense of reverent fear. Not because I doubted their love but because they had every right as my parents to ask me to explain myself. And because I actually really loved to bring them delights and I felt like I treated them poorly. Now I know not everyone is going to have that sort of trusting relationship with their parents and that level of security. Uh, But even for me, that's just a little pointer to the true perfect father that all Christians have. Just because I was secure in my relationship with them, it didn't mean that they didn't care how I lived. And it didn't mean that I shouldn't care about pleasing them. I shouldn't care about treating them like trash. I think this is Peter's way of saying, don't be complacent. And can I say, I think this reverent fear is particularly important for when we're on our own very easy to feel like no one is looking, isn't it? When uh, you get home, close the bedroom door, or you have an evening to yourself, house to yourself, you feel like you can do anything you like and it doesn't affect anyone. It might be what you look at on your screens, it might be what you post on the internet or post anonymously on different chat groups, things that you wouldn't do if your name was attached to it or if more people could see So asking the question, uh, would I do this if I knew someone was looking or if it had my name attached to it, is a helpful one. Remembering, on the day when Jesus comes back, what explanation will I give? Because God is our Father, but he is also the judge and sees all our deeds and he cares about how we live. So Peter says, revere your father as judge now, because it reminds us that we don't belong here. We have good works to do, and we look forward to the day 
when our works are laid before him and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, one of the things I'm so grateful for um, when I I kind of faced my parents' gaze is that um, I I knew that every time uh, something like this happened, that it would end in a hug. I knew it would end in a hug. I knew nothing could threaten the security um, that I had, and and that is such a precious thing. But the thing is, sometimes uh, we don't feel that way about God, do we? We can fear that our complacency in our sin will maybe disqualify us from God's family, or that he'll change minds. So Peter reminds us that whilst we revere our Father as judge, uh, we also rest in an irreversible uh, redemption. And that's our our last point. In verse 18 and 19, Peter wants to remove any doubt that we will get where we belong. In verse 3 to 5 last week, we saw he's talking about the resurrection. And here he shows why their sin can't stop getting them home because of the cross. Now that word redemption is the idea of being delivered from evil by the payment of a price. Being delivered from evil by the payment of a price. And I wonder, have you maybe had a gift card before that's been given to you? Um, and you kind of go around the shop and you think, okay, I'm going to get this, this and this. And you can't quite remember how much is on there. Um, you get to the till and you discover, oh man, it doesn't cover it all. There's more to pay. I'm going to have to get out my bank card as well. And I wonder if sometimes that can be our suspicion with God. We can find it hard to set our hope on the future because we we kind of fear that Jesus maybe didn't quite do enough to get us there. We fear that we're going to get there and, well, a bit like the gift card, we're going to have to get something out of our own pockets and there's going to be a bit more to pay. We fear our sin is too great, that we've been too complacent. Well, Peter as they reflect on him as as judge, he doesn't want them to fear that at all, to fear any reversal of their redemption. Uh, Because, firstly, because Jesus' blood is precious. Do you see that? Verse 18. It was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. There's lots going on in those verses, but Peter is essentially saying there is no price that still needs to be paid. Jesus' blood is more precious than silver or gold in infinite amounts. We, We sang about that, didn't we? How precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Jesus' blood functions a bit like the Passover lamb who was killed in the place of the firstborn son back in Exodus. The lamb died that the son might live and that death might pass over. Jesus' blood is precious. But why is his blood precious? Well, because he's more than a lamb and he's more than a man. A lamb alone could never make us right with God forever. Not even a a spotless one. As we go through all the Bible, we see that even the sacrifices day by day uh, were not enough. And not even a perfect man could pay for the cosmic weight of our sin against an eternal God. Peter reminds us 
in verse 20 that Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Jesus' death pays an infinite price because he is a person of infinite value. He is the eternal son chosen to redeem before the creation of the world, taken on flesh. I forgot to put this quote up, but let me read you these words from uh, John T. Rhodes. When Jesus dies in his human nature, the son of God dies. That gives infinite value to his death. At the cross, we see the sacrifice, not just of a good man, but of the God's man. And that's not saying that the divine essence suddenly stopped being, but the son of God, according to his human nature, was the one who died at the cross. And that is precious indeed. That is a price that you, you just can't name. It is of infinite value. And so we can be sure that there will be nothing left to pay. Rest in your irreversible redemption. We've been delivered from evil by the highest price you could possibly imagine. And there is no doubt that Jesus has paid all that is needed to get us home. I mean, read a verse, this is a song, a hymn we sometimes sing. uh, Be still my soul and know this peace. The merits of your great high priest, that's Jesus, have bought your liberty. Rely then on his precious blood. Don't fear your banishment from God, since Jesus sets you free. Rest secure in the knowledge that you cannot undo the price that Jesus has paid. We sang it earlier. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So how do we live in a world where we don't feel we belong? Set our hope on the future. Let that future shape your present. Reflect our Father's holiness. Live in line with who we belong to. Revere our Father as judge. Don't be complacent. And rest in your irreversible redemption. Know that not even our sin can get in the way of our Father getting us home. Let's just take a moment to reflect on those precious truths and then I'll pray.